Welcome to the Day Luna Human Design Podcast, where we discuss all things human design and how it can support you and your spiritual journey. This is not a one-size-fits-all podcast. We are here to inspire awareness about how we are all different and help you answer the questions of who am I? What am I here to do? How am I here to do it? You can thrive and live the life of your dreams just by having awareness of your true self. So dive deep with us, get inspired, and start living your life on purpose. Hello, and welcome back to the Day Luna Human Design Podcast. We are super excited to be having on a very special guest today, Terry Cole, who's going to be sharing with us a lot of beautiful wisdom and insight on the topic of boundaries. Yes. So Terry Cole is a New York-based licensed psychotherapist. She's a relationship expert and founder of the Real Love Revolution. She also has a boundary boot camp, and she's the co-founder of Crushing Codependency. So she leads female empowerment courses and reaches women in over 90 countries. She's honestly so incredible and We learned so much from her in this episode, and I'm so grateful that she exists because I'm literally shook from this conversation, (laughs) and I was shaking almost in it because I felt like truth was just like setting me free, and it was shaking out of me in like a really healthy, beautiful way. Yeah. And, you know, before this conversation, you guys, we went down a rabbit hole studying all of her beautiful offerings that she shares and all of the wisdom that she shares. She has her own podcast that's called The Terry Cole Show. We definitely recommend you check it out. And then also in this episode, we're talking about her new book that is officially out. It's called Boundary Boss, The Essential Guide to Talk True, Be Seen, and Finally Live Free. And she shares such a powerful and beautiful skill set of understanding what boundaries are, how we can effectively communicate them, um, how to negotiate when someone else has different needs and wants than you. We talk about codependency. We talk about all of these really important and profound different uh, topics that really affect our lives on a day-to-day basis. And it really, really excites us because as you guys know, a huge part of human design is being your own authority in your own life and saying, this is my truth. This is what's right for me. So how do I communicate that to other people without feeling guilty, without worrying about disappointing people, um, without feeling like I need to change my truth in order to fulfill other people's expectations of me? So this work that she has, you know, created, the stuff that we're talking about in this episode, we think it's going to support all of you guys in your human design journey so deeply because it has deeply supported us. Even just having this conversation, like we were having a million downloads about our own life and getting super excited about how we can find more clarity um, around our kind of subconscious blueprints that are associated with boundaries, which you guys will hear more about in this episode. Yes. Um, And I do want to say, I think that human design kind of takes this to the next level. Having the languaging around how to make decisions for you and how to have this reliable decision-making process of saying yes and saying no, paired with the languaging that Terry offers in her Boundary Boss book um, and kind of like the Bill of Rights to Boundaries that she's created and her deep understanding um, and expertise when it comes to codependency and boundaries. I think that it's another level. So um, we're just so excited for you guys to tune in and we know that you guys will love this episode as much as we do. 
Okay, so without further ado, let's welcome on our special guest of the day, Terry Cole. Thank you so much for being here, Terry. How are you? I'm great, Dina. Thanks for having me, Dana and Shana. I appreciate it. Yes, we're so, so thrilled to be having this conversation with you and to get to share your wisdom with our listeners because we have been thinking about boundaries a lot in our own life, in our own personal journey, and we tend to just kind of share on this podcast whatever it is that we're going through. And a lot of our listeners are like, I have been experiencing the same thing. I have been feeling the same thing. You know, we're all kind of riding on these same frequencies and waves. So this is really coming at the perfect time. Um, So we're so excited to talk about it. And just kind of right off the bat, it was wondering if you could share with us how you came into this work around boundaries and relationships and, you know, all of the things that you share with the world. Sure. You know, I think they say that, you know, you you teach what you most need to learn. So from the boundary perspective and the love perspective, I was definitely a boundary disaster for sure in all of my 20s. And I got into therapy very early. I mean, I was 19. I was still in college when I first got into therapy. And um, and then I also stopped drinking my senior year of college, about three months before graduation, which is like so weird. But because my friends were all like, what? Are you kidding me? Um, but I thought <laughs> if I could quit now, I could just like quit, right? If, if I'm not going to drink the last three months of my senior year in college, I guess I can stop forever, which I did. So those decisions and being in therapy really had a really influenced my understanding of boundaries, Trust me, I didn't learn much then, but I knew that there was something was missing because I was having a lot of conflict in my relationships. I was really angry. That was part of it is that I'm generally a pretty happy person, optimistic, but I felt a lot of resentment building, especially throughout my 20s, right? So I started therapy and just stopping drinking takes like three years to process. Um, So then, you know, moved into the other things. And as I got better and better, with my own ability to, as I say in the book, you know, talk true, basically, things started getting easier in my life. And when I stopped drinking, I also dove into self-help where and, and therapy. And I just couldn't believe that there was something that I could do that it didn't really matter, like what had happened prior to that moment, that it wasn't about my family history. It wasn't about what I'd experienced. Like that didn't have to be predictive of what was going to happen in my life. And I thought it was the most unbelievable gift. So I was super enthused. Even though I didn't go directly into becoming a therapist, I became a talent agent in, you know, for models and celebrities. I mean, that's where I ended up. So entertainment itself, I had a great run. I loved it while I did it until I didn't because that it is not a hotbed of mental health, as you can imagine. Um, and a boundaryless, like just universe, is entertainment because you are. I was like the same age as many of the people I was representing. This was in the 90s when models were the queens of the world, right? This was the George Michael supermodel thing where suddenly people knew who models were, because that didn't used to be the thing. They were just like people in catalogs prior to that. Then the whole supermodel thing happened in the 90s, and I was literally running a talent agency that we did that for a living for elite modeling agency um, during the height of that. And so I had to eventually get out of the business because I realized that I was so um, much more interested in the mental health of my clients than I was about the Pantene deal or the movie deal that I should have been super stoked about, but I didn't care, like, at all. But I was getting everyone into eating disorder clinics and drug treatment clinics and therapy, and 
I was like, you, this, it doesn't matter how quote unquote successful you are. Like you're literally done with this business. But I did learn a lot about myself and, and where I needed work on my boundaries while I was in that business. I kept trying to change that business itself. You know, my bosses were like, hi, no, that's not happening. So you get to a point where for me, I just was like, I got to get out. So I knew there was going to be no good time. Right. When, when is a good time? According to my father, I was leaving at the height of my success. I was like, well, whatever, I'll, wherever you go, there you are. And I'll do the same thing somewhere else. And I didn't really need him to understand exactly like why I was doing it. He said, sounds weird. I was like, okay, well, <laughs> weird to you. What matters to me is I'm not happy mm-hmm. doing this. And the moment I took my first non-matriculating course at NYU, I was like, yes. I want to do this forever. And that's never changed. I've never been unenthralled with the human experience and the human mind and people's stories. So when I became a therapist, now I'm in the trenches with my clients and I'm seeing every person who walked through my door, whatever their pain point was, maybe it's a bad relationship, maybe they're not making the money they they should be in the job that they're in, uh, have family of origin stuff. I could literally see the path back to them not having this skill set. I was like, wow, all roads, all these painful roads are leading back to this lack of the ability to say what you want to say, tell the truth about how you feel and who you are, set limits, prioritize your pleasure, your preferences. It was all going back to a lack of this skill set of boundaries. And so I spent two decades, literally, researching this with my clients, what works, what doesn't. And about five years ago, I created a course called Boundary Bootcamp. So I've workshopped every single thing that is in the book that's out now with real people in real time to see, because my audience and the people who are attracted to my work are super smart women, generally. And I was like, I don't think, just because I'm a lifer for therapy, because I love it, like meaning my own therapy, I don't really think that is, it has to be that way. Like not everyone can get into therapy. And I was like, they just need a good coach. They just need like the right, you know? So anyway, that that's how I got to boundaries being this passionate thing because it, it really lessened my own suffering so much and deepened my relationships and the intimacy, but also deepened my relationship with myself, not constantly abandoning myself, you know? Yeah. Wow. Um, so much of what you just shared, um, I just, I could talk about forever and ever, um, especially in, I really resonate not being somebody who's a good fit for therapy personally. Like I would recommend it to anyone. I I definitely think it's great to be, um, if that's an outlet that feels supportive for you. But for me, um, especially with my authority in human design, um, which is how you make decisions and everything. I have found that it feels like I'm kind of just running in circles and that it's not necessarily what I need. What I need is more of that coach energy, more of that, um, that, that let me meet you where you're at and then point you where to go versus let me let you figure it all out. And, you know, next session, we'll let you figure it out some more and we'll meet for the next five years. And then maybe you'll have a a realization. Like I need somebody who's kind of like 
pushing me to, to keep going and knowing the direction that's healthiest for me based off of what I'm talking about or, sh- or sharing. So I love what you said there. And I love that in your expertise and through working with all of your different clients that you've seen that it has all led back to boundaries because that was a big theme that we talked about in, in our boundary episode was there's boundaries apply to so many aspects of your life. And so whether it's boundaries between you and another person or boundaries internally with, Mm -hmm. with yourself and really actually seeing yourself really actually honoring what you want and saying that out loud and letting that be true and chasing your joy, all of that stuff. it, It does require these, these, these boundaries. So I guess I wanted to ask you, what is your definition of a boundary? Sure. So let's look at, there's lots of simple definitions out there and there's lots of talk about boundaries out there. So I love that we're talking about it because I think there's a lot of myths and misunderstandings about it as well. So if you look at Brene Brown says, it's letting the people in your life know what's okay with you and not what's not okay with you, right? Nice and simple. Obviously I wrote a whole book about it and I have a whole course on it. So mine's (laughs) a little bit more involved than that. But what it came down to for me was knowing what your preferences, desires, limits and deal breakers are and having the capability to communicate them clearly concisely transparently if you so choose in any and all relationships Mm, i love that that's super it's uh simplifying everything down because i know that each one of those things is probably you could look into just one of those things forever um i know that with you know boundaries right now i i do feel like boundaries is such a hot topic it's a it's a buzzword right now because especially with this pandemic and kind of feeling like you're under this microscope of everything in your life do you actually love it is it actually necessary um Mm -hmm. so have you found that people are having uh i guess an easier time setting boundaries now or a harder time setting boundaries now or it doesn't just vary you know, I think that I've actually written a whole bunch of stuff about this because I've gotten so many questions when people were locked down about everything from how do I deal with my non-masking family to how do I deal with being this close with the people in my life and I need physical boundaries and all of that. But if we look at it from a macro point of view, we were in a traumatic experience. So the universe hit pause, but what happened is traumatic for us as a as the world the whole world and so when you're in therapy when you're going through experiences in life there's this opportunity for mad growth when we're in some kind of a traumatic or dramatic situation because your regular defenses you're getting up and burning through the day and then dropping when you get home and waking up and doing it all over again the ways that we are on autopilot and our psychological defense mechanisms are all sort of also put on hold because our lives were put on hold. So what I saw is that there was this massive opportunity that we never would have had many, many, many people, of course, and a zillion tragedies as well, so not to minimize that, but where the things we thought we couldn't live without. I I launched an entire book without doing a book tour. I was gonna go all over, I literally had three cities in Australia planned, six in Europe, and 10 in the US not doing any of those things. And 
I'm actually not at all sad about not doing them. <laughs> like I kind of like being home and I'm doing it like this and it's amazing. But it expanded our idea of the way things could be done. And as I've, from clients to women in my courses, a lot of people have been motivated to make changes that they thought they'd make eventually. And they're like, but why wait? Seeing as how tomorrow is not guaranteed. And shifting, a lot of people have moved. A lot of people thought, maybe when I retire, I'll move, but they've done that. So I see it as an opportunity, but to be specific to boundaries themselves, I think that a lot of people have, have disordered boundaries. Being in close quarters really amplified the crap out of what was already disordered, what was already there. And so having conversations that you just have to have because there was so much, a lot of people were building up a ton of resentment. Like, and when you're not saying what's on your mind, everything the other person does is irritating. Just how they're chewing, you're like, you're gross. How they're breathing, you're like, you're annoying. Like, just <laughs> you're walking. I hate the way you walk. Like, this is what happens because we're, we displace that aggression because our need is not getting met. And it can be as simple as creating little signs for the doors, especially if you have children and you're trying to homeschool and do all the other things that people have been doing where you can have a family meeting like, hey, we're in a new situation. We should talk about new ways to manage it and do that. So I have a bunch of blogs out and, and videos about just ideas of how to do that. And then you have a lot of people, and we see it publicly as well, people's lives just imploded because their life was built on seeing that person not often or one hour a day, and they just didn't have the flexibility, the relationship itself, to survive the pressure that this put on. And what boundaries do when you have healthy boundaries, it's all about protecting your relationships because that's exactly what they do. And, and the irony is that people are like, I'm afraid if I have boundaries, I'm gonna alienate the people I love. I'm like, hi, saying yes when you wanna say no, that shit is gonna alienate the people that you love eventually, you know? So I feel like this conversation is very timely about boundaries because everyone is talking about it because people have been in pain about it. Yeah, and I mean, not just boundaries in your personal life and the people that you're kind of um, either seeing more often or seeing less often, but also the boundaries in our working life. And, you know, even just your example of, of this book tour, the boundary in the book publishing industry of this is just how things are. You go on tour and it has to be done this way. And somewhere along the line, that standard was set this mm -hmm. boundary was set and you didn't cross it. It's just not how things were. And so this, obviously COVID, forced every boundary within every work environment, regardless of what industry it was in, to really say, is that boundary needed? Do we need that rule? I don't think that's necessary. Let's just work from home. So it's, it's causing a, a lot of um, boundaries that weren't serving us that were just kind of part of this cycle to fall away. But then it's, it's also, you know, uh, I guess circling down to your personal life, then, okay, what boundaries are, are serving me? What aren't, what boundaries did I even have that I didn't realize that I had because I was working. I only saw this person one hour a day. Um, right. yeah. So it, and, it's and so interesting. I have a question though. Like, like another thing is you're looking at where am I not talking true, 
right? If we look at how much effective communication is the foundation for healthy boundaries, because it is a requirement. So yes, the internal boundaries you were talking about before, right? Boundaries within yourself. And the way that I teach it is we, we handle you first. Because if we don't, there is so much projection and repetition compulsion and all, you know, transference, all this crap psychologically that is happening if your side of the street isn't clean. If you don't understand what I call your downloaded boundary blueprint, which is, you know, in your unconscious mind, it's a paradigm about the way you personally relate to boundaries. And there are a million great reasons why you relate to boundaries that way. But think about um, your boundary blueprint as an architectural blueprint for a house. Oh, that someone else designed maybe like a century ago, five decades ago. And it gets handed down from generation to generation like this is the way it is. This is the way you should be in your marriage, let's say. This is the way you should be in your partnership. This is how family behaves. This is how we interact with the outside world. And if you don't question, because listen, that may be fine. And of course, we have blueprints where we get amazing things from our family of origin. Thank you. But I don't need to write a book about that because it wouldn't help anybody. <laughs> we have to look at, you know, what did we learn from whom? So it's not, it's your country, your culture, your socioeconomic situation. It is what you saw, right? What was the modeled behavior around boundaries? It's also if your family system was messed up and whose wasn't, but it depends on what way it was messed up. What was your role in the family? Were you parentified at a young age? So kids, we learn. Nobody has to give us like the inner office memo. If you have a parent and they need you to be the grown-up, even if you're six, and if not taking that on will get you rejected or physically harmed, your kids are so adaptive. If that means you're cooking dinner for like other littler siblings when you're seven years old, that's what you're doing. So your ability to do those things at that young age is super adaptive. Like it's, you know, our, as humans are fascinatingly capable. But then we bring that into adulthood. And then we become the overfunctioners, the overgivers, the overdoers, the fixers, right? lots of codependency happening. You don't realize that that adaptive response becomes maladaptive in adulthood and it is getting in the way of you creating what you want. You're like, why am I so friggin' exhausted? Why do I feel resentful? I never feel like people are appreciative enough. Well, because you're giving from a disordered place, right? You're giving from a place of, I'm afraid if I don't, what will happen? Or this is how I get loved is by being of service to the people in my life. So that that's all the stuff that we sort of handle in the beginning of the book because not everyone has a different blueprint, right? Because just like your DNA, it's, it's as unique as your DNA. There's never been another you and there never will be. And the same thing, the nuances of your blueprint. And of course, we have to know it to change it. You know, I mean, wow. so, so that's the beginning process of excavating this stuff so we can go, oh, that's how it was for my folks. That sucked. Like, I don't want to do that. I don't I don't think marriage has to look like that. Mm. You know, wow, that is 
so fascinating as you are speaking like a million light bulbs are going off in my own life of like oh that dinged a bell for me oh that dinged a bell for me and I'm really grateful to hear this because one of my questions was like how do you even know what boundaries you need to create you know like it really I've been thinking about that in my own life okay maybe I need boundaries people are telling me that I am feeling that conflict or resentment okay mm -hmm. so I need to make these boundaries where, how, when, and you know, all of those questions can really feel overwhelming. But when you start from yeah. that place of like, let me really examine what are my tendencies? Where, where are the places where I sacrifice myself and go against what is my truth? And I don't feel safe to talk about my truth. I don't feel comfortable to just say, hey, this is what I feel and I'm not okay with this or I am. What are those mm -hmm. places? Like, where do they come from? And looking back at your childhood, it really clarifies it. Like instantly as you were talking, <laughs> I could think of like five different places that I'm yep. like, oh, these are really big things I need to look at. And it's fascinating to me because I think of myself as someone who comes from a really good family and had mm -hmm. a good education and I had a lot of privilege and I was healthy and I was happy. I had a great life as a kid. Um, and also my parents were spiritual. So I grew up talking about reincarnation and meditation and mindfulness. So, like I think of myself as someone who comes from this like pretty woke family. I mean, as woke as they can be. And then I see like, wow, but literally no one ever, ever, ever taught me that you need to speak your truth, even if it makes other people uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. No one ever taught me when you you have a limit and your energy is just done, you need to honor that and not push yourself. In fact, I was really praised for being easygoing mm -hmm. and abandoning myself. And of course you were. Yeah. So Dana, it, of course you were. I know. This is, we, we were all raised and praised for being self-abandoning codependents. Yeah. That is fact. mind-blowing to like have that realization in this moment because it's so true. And how can we, it's just mind-blowing to me that we haven't had this awareness until this time. And people like you guiding us, writing these amazing books, stepping up to the plate and helping us realize, I mean, it's about time. Um, but how does, you know, how does that conditioning play out in an overall way? Like, why do you think it's in general women normally that mm -hmm. are attracted to your work and like that <laughs> overall kind of like American Western culture conditioning, like what are the main themes that really pull us away? Is it just those things that we've, we've experienced with our family or, you know, is it programmed mm -hmm. in our media? Is it everywhere? No, it's, it's programmed everywhere, but it's also look at, listen, women were property up until 18, whatever, like actually property. Mm -hmm. Um, couldn't vote until what is it 1920 something i mean yeah. like separate we know this think about that we're only talking about a hundred years ago when women could vote like that is the truth about our importance and our marginalization and if we talk about women of color four times worse, 10 times worse, um, because that didn't, even though, you know, they were supposedly allowed to vote when white women were, they really weren't for another like 40 years. So it's not even just voting. It, it's also from the perspective of women, we have been the assuagers, the soothers, the connectors, the fixers, the caretakers for ever, it seems. And so when you're a kid and you you look at your parent, right? So you might have a maternal impactor. And I say that because it may not be your mother. It could have been a foster mom or an aunt or whomever, whoever the adult was in your life that had this you know, impact on you. And if they were someone who had the disease to please, we just internalize that. Like, this is what being a good woman looks like. 
right? People will talk about, oh, you know, Betty's amazing. She'd give anyone the shirt off her back. I'm like, Betty, keep your fucking shirt on. Like, aren't you cold? <laughs> and how about some discernment? <laughs> like, not everyone deserves your damn shirt is all I'm saying. But we would get that, um, like you said, you, you, got, you were praised, right? I was praised for being high functioning, for achieving, for being nice, for being easy. And look at all the phrases, how we're constantly soothing other people's discomfort by being like, oh, it's cool, it's all good. I'm good, I'm e you know me, I'm easy, easy breezy, nothing, no fuss, no muss. You're like, why is that like a badge of honor? And why is my preference like a mother effing burden to someone? Yes. I have a preference, right? Yes. About all the things. Why, if a woman has a preference, you're like a demanding shrew? You're not. And I reject that narrative straight up. I also am a lot older than you ladies, and I'm so past giving a buck, but you know what I mean? In, in respect to people, you know, trying to manipulate me, or mm -hmm. I know who I am. So you can feel threatened by who I am. You can be mad that I'm not doing the thing that you want the way that you want it, but that doesn't change who I am, and that is not my side of the street. And I think that when we should take this in the direction, if you don't mind, mm -hmm. of over-functioning, Overgiving, overfeeling, feeling overly responsible for the feeling states, the decisions, the outcomes, right? The circumstances of the people we care about. And when I was in my 20s, it was anybody. I didn't even have to care about you that much. Like I still <laughs> was going to fix whatever was wrong in your life. I had the answer, I had the idea. Just the auto advice giving was just ridiculous in my own personal story because anyone having a problem was seemed like I needed to do something about it and I had this really painful experience in my 20s with one of my siblings who was in a really bad situation and she was with someone and he was abusive and they were both addicts and he was doing meth and she was drinking and whatever. they lived in a house in the woods without running water and he was physically abusive. So oh that's literally, I don't need to embellish that story because that was the actual story. So I was crying to my therapist and being like, I felt so like I have to save her, I have to fix her, sending money, doing the thing. And finally my therapist said, Terry, let me ask you something. What makes you think you know what lessons Jenna needs to learn in this life? Like, I was like, well, come on, Ruth. I think we can both agree. It doesn't have to be like this. It doesn't have to be in the woods with this idiot, you know, or whatever. And she was like, no, I can't agree because I'm not God. I don't know. But what is really happening is that you've spent two decades in therapy, basically, creating a harmonious life and a decent amount of internal peace. And your sister's train wreck of a life is really messing with that. So what you really want is you want your pain to end. And I was like, oh my God, that is so true. Wow. I do. I want her to get it together so I can enjoy the life that I've built. I was so codependently attached to my sister. I couldn't see that. I felt like to be a good sister, how could I, how could I not do everything? And I understood in that moment, because this therapist was so brilliant and so loving, and she was like, you can't fix it, Tara. 
Like it, and what is happening is that you're you're putting these band-aids by giving her money. You could be removing the urgency that she needs to make the moves that she needs to make. And if you can't talk to her while she's talking about this person being abusive, then have the conversation and step back, which is what I did. Hey, I love you. And if you ever want to get away from this idiot, I'm here to help you, but you like have to be willing to get sober, whatever. And nine months later, she did actually, and she's great. And has that was decades ago. I mean, she's she's been great for a long time. But the point is, I was relieved that it was no longer my job. And I misunderstood loyalty. I, I was confusing codependency and the control, because when you think about codependency, it is an overt or covert bid to control someone else's circumstance, you know? Mm, that's what I was going to ask you was if you could define codependency for everyone listening, because I think that that word, we've heard it and, you know, people are familiar with it, but really understanding, okay, but am I codependent in places in my life? How do you know that? So, well, there's two things about codependency. As I was building my, my therapy practice, I was attracting women who were very much like me. So I, and I went from being in entertainment that way to basically having all these Broadway performers, singers, directors, whomever into, in my practice. And I would see codependent behavior. And if I pointed it out, they would be like, no, no, you don't get it. Everyone's dependent on me. I'm not the one dependent on crap. I'm making all the money. I got all the answers. What are you talking about? Because there, there was this idea that codependency was like the Melody Beatty, codependent no more, you have to be involved with an addict, you're the enabler thing. And I was like, but that's not it at all. That isn't what I see. So I changed the name to high-functioning codependency because that's what I was because nobody would have thought that I was codependent, but I was severely so. And as soon as I added that to it, my clients could recognize and be like, oh, I'm like, listen, it's like this. It's like Ginger Rogers did everything Fred Astaire did, except she did it backwards and in heels. That's a high functioning codependent. People do not see you as dependent on anyone. So you're doing it all, but you are doing it somewhere at the expense of yourself. So long way around the barn, to get back to defining codependency, which I'm going to do right now. Codependency means you're overly invested in, right, the feeling states, the decisions, the outcomes, and the circumstances of the people in your life. And it is to some kind of a detriment to your internal peace, your financial life, your physical life. Like it's, listen, because we're all invested in the people we love. Like that's normal. That's just loving people. But the way that I was invested in my sister's situation was detrimental to my internal peace. And I was not on my side of the street because it was her decision to, she had to reach whatever her rock bottom was in order to leave and stay gone, right? So that is what codependency is according to me. Got it. So I thank you for explaining that because obviously we're both sitting here like, okay, I'm codependent here. I'm codependent there. Okay. Okay. This makes sense now. Um, but I'm curious for anyone listening who is codependent with somebody that, um, their decisions directly affect their life. So for example, mm -hmm. somebody who, you know, whether it's your partner or your child or somebody that lives in your, your home, your parent, that they are doing something for you. And so their decisions, 
are affecting you. So you care about how they feel while they're doing those things. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like how do you set a boundary there that's, that's healthy where you aren't codependent, but you still are both functioning in the same household or same project or same whatever together. But there's a way to do that. Like, like there's a way to have very clean agreements. And the problem is most of us don't. We have a lot of silent agreements silent agreements with your family of origin, silent agreements in your marriage, silent agreements with your friends. And they are almost always just the foundation is disordered boundaries. Because if we're going to have a clear agreement about you doing something for me, we live in the same house, we're going to have what are the parameters of that agreement. Let's get really clear. I call this proactive boundary setting and having clean agreements. Because if we don't in the end, there's always going to be a misunderstanding. You think, I was so clear. And think of all the ways that we're like, listen, if this person had a brain, they would have just known. And if this person really loves me, they would have just known. I don't want to have to tell my boyfriend or my husband what to do. He should just know. No, yeah. that's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> just no. And if you... I remember saying to a, a ther- my, ther- my therapist actually in college, I was complaining about my college boyfriend. And I was, be, I was being like, I want him to have a crystal ball, basically. I was like, I shouldn't have to tell him this and that. And she's like, wait a minute, wait. So you asked him to do something and he's willing to do it? I was like, yeah, but I'm mad I had to ask. She's like, okay, back it up. <laughs> she's like, how about we focus on the fact that he's willing to do it? Maybe that can be the thing we focus on. And I was like, no, it's he should have known. I shouldn't have had to ask. But a lot of us feel that way, which is kind of infantile, right? Think about an infant. I don't have to ask. You have to friggin' guess what could be my problem right now. And that is childish. Like, why not? You know, there's a lack of emotional maturity in just not talking true. But here's the thing. This is like a foreign language. Nobody taught it to anybody. Trust me. I don't care what house you grew up in. Nobody did. Because I've taught this in this, because I've taught this course for the last five years. I've taught it to women in 195 countries. Not one person was like, oh, yes, the the tribe I come from in Africa, the, the, I learned it there. Nobody. Not one place. Yeah. So women in particular, we have this experience that not only did we not learn the language of boundaries or how to do it, we learned um, corrupted data about it and about what it means if we do it. And so we have to come from that place that this is not something you should just know. And yes, some people will be naturally better at it than others, depending on what happened in your childhood and your life and your personality, introvert, extrovert, family of origin, all of those things impact the right way for you to express and enforce your boundaries because there is no one right way to do it. I thought it would be helpful in the book to just start with yourself, right? So we do that deep dive into the basement of your mind, I call it, which is your unconscious mind, gathering up a whole bunch of stuff that you might have repressed, you might have forgotten, you might have not really repressed, but it's like down there. But you know, who's thinking about like when you're seven, like every day, you're not, there's not enough room in your brain. So it's about asking and being guided to the information that is there for you. So it's not like I'm anyone's guru, because I'm not but I'm a damn good GPS Mm -hmm. to get you to the information that you need 
to understand yourself more accurately. Yeah. Then you go, oh, this makes sense. This is why this is so friggin' hard for me, or this is why I'm having difficulty doing it. And then once we go through that, which is the beginning of the book, then I move into, okay, step one. We got to deal with the relationships we're already in. So what happens when you're in a long-term relationship and you have crazy disordered boundaries or you've never asserted yourself, right? Because a lot of people mix up, right? There's a confusion between compatibility and compliance. Mm. And if you're really a people pleaser, you know, your highest thing is to like, just not have conflict. You're like, I don't even care. Like, I just don't even care. Just, no, just let's not argue. I don't want anyone mad at me. And of course, again, you can only do that for so long too. In your 20s, you can do it. Then we, then it starts really taking a toll because we feel unseen. <laughs> we are unseen, unknown, and we're setting ourselves up. So there's a way to do it in relationships that are established. And all of this is can be done with kindness, with love when appropriate. You may not like with your boss or like Bob in accounting, but you know, like... <laughs> Basically, people you love, we can do it with love. We can do it with firmness. We can do it with a little bit more fire if we need to. But we're changing the boundary dance in established relationships. And someone's going to notice that you're doing a different step. They will. So there's a whole chapter where it's just scripts. Mm -hmm. Wow. To use in established relationships, to use in new relationships, someone on the street trying to hit on you, someone giving you advice you don't friggin' want bumping into someone I literally have a thing like someone because this was a true story someone one of my clients was in a very religious it was like a cult actually I thought and she would see these people on the street all the time and they would be like we're praying for you you know of course not saying we're praying for you right what is the subtext there you're yeah. going to hell yeah <laughs> and so I came I literally put those scripts in there that I'd give her that I had given her which were like I could we could all use more of those thank you mm-hmm yeah just not taking the bait, not not gonna ignore them either. But anyway, yeah, lo long way around the barn. Let's get back to whatever you guys are saying. <laughs> yeah, well, well, no, I I love what you're saying here <laughs> because it is really re reflected in what we teach with human design as well, where it start with yourself first, have awareness of yourself. Let's see, that is the best way that you can impact the world around you and help the world, the other people in your life. But, um, you know hearing what you're saying it's it's profound and so necessary i think i love that you put the scripts in because for a lot of people i think that is so helpful to have the wording the language to to voice what it is they are feeling and needing um and human design also that's one thing that we love with that too is that it gives you this language to understand these things that are felt but you know, I kind of had the opposite of experience to Dana where I had to grow up really fast. And so I had to be able to mold into any family. And um, I lived at my neighbor's house. I lived at my friend's house in, in high school and middle school. And, and so I feel like I got really used to saying what I want and what I need. But I noticed when I got to college that... I got so much pushback either from teachers or like at one point Dane and I were in a band and like we got I just got so much shit I got kicked out of the band because <laughs> I spoke up for like this isn't okay like we can't work 14 hours and not a lunch break like we this 
we're not going to record this again. Like, this is not all right. And they're like, you're not Beyonce. You don't get to tell us what you want. And I, you know, I got so much pushback of, of you need to shut up, put your head down and you're Mm -hmm. too much. We're just trying to flow. We're just trying to be chill and be easy. You're too, you're too much. You're too bossy. Mm -hmm. And so (laughs) I then realized like, wow, maybe I am too much. Maybe me saying what I need is too aggressive for people or it's too whatever. And, you know, this has been a big lesson in my life is, is noticing that and, and kind of knowing like, is this okay? Is it not? And kind of learning as I go, but it's been so recent even to just the other day, a friend said to me, you know, I think the main difference between you and this other person is that you ask for what you want. You're not afraid to ask for what you want. Mm -hmm. And there was this connotation and that we both kind of had just from our conditioning in the world that that's bad. Like, and I even felt, well, why, why do I ask for what I want? Should I ask for what I want less? Am I being too demanding? Am I being too pushy? Mm -hmm. All that stuff that you said. So it's, it's interesting because it's, it's, where's the line between I speak my truth for me in my Mm -hmm. life. And like, I ask for what I want. I'm not going to shy off from saying like, I would love it if you did this or that, or I'd love if I could do this or that. Mm -hmm. And being respectful of other people's boundaries and what they want. For example, let's say the band situation, even though that's kind of shitty, like that's their environment. That's their boundaries that they're setting. And I'm stating my boundaries. Is it just a matter of being like, okay, we both said our truth and now we're done in this situation? Or is it, how do you respect both boundaries? Well, part of it is this is what actual compromise is because we have to, you know, if you look at, I have this, um, let me find them, this boundary boss bill of rights that's right in the front of the book. Literally, the first thing that you see in the book is the boundary boss bill of rights because I think that the question you're asking, Shana, so many people have it. They're like, wait a minute, am I allowed sort of to do this, to want this? Am I allowed to say this? Am I trampling on the other person. So the whole, I usually say it like this, like it's on your side of the, like whatever's on your side of the street, you have the right to negotiate for what you want. That is your actual right. And people have a right to not do what you want. So in our important and intimate relationships, we actually have to full on actually negotiate. And I feel like with women, a lot of times, I was just talking to Chris, I don't know if you know Chris Carbon, and we were just we were just doing a live together. And she said, yeah, my grandmother would say, that's behavior unbecoming to like <laughs> negotiate for what you want. It it's, makes you vulnerable too, in a way that for you, Shana, because you had a life experience, that if you didn't ask, you wouldn't get most likely, because you moved around, because there were so, you were aware unconsciously that like you were the one you were waiting for, right? There yes. wasn't going to, like, no one else is coming. God, so I've if it's going to happen. Line so many times. Have you read? <laughs> yeah. So oh, you that's just so funny. said something I've literally said a thousand times. Like, I feel like I'm the one I'm waiting for. I've known that since I was four years old. So, right. yeah. So, but it makes sense to me though, from a therapeutic point of view. That you would be like, well, this is my this is my chance. Like, I'm I'm gonna do it now because I have this need or this desire now, and if I don't, it won't happen. Where if you had a more intact situation, 
you you were not sort of fending for yourself in that way. So I'm going to let's quickly go through the Boundary Boss Bill of Rights, if you yeah, don't mind. No, I love and it. And we'll go to we'll go to um how do we meet in the middle how do we know what is our side of the street so we start with you have the right to say no or yes to others without feeling guilty let's just start right there like how, how many people listening are like oh shit every time i say no i feel guilty do you know what i yeah, mean like yes. i feel like i have to say yes to everyone uh number two you have a right to make mistakes to course correct or to change your mind mm. and that one is I find with the women in my practice, they're very big on wanting to keep their word. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like every decision you make carries the weight of a life sentence. And it doesn't have to, because you know what? Sometimes we grow out of things. Sometimes we grow out of people or careers or whatever. Like sometimes we made a quick decision and then we wish we didn't. And instead of being like, oh, well, crap, I guess I'm doing this for the next seven years. Maybe you're not and you don't have to. You can be appropriately, sorry, I really thought I could do it. And it's really come to my attention. I actually can't because I'm dropping balls left and right. So I'm sorry. I know you're disappointed. Mm. And I love you. And I hope that you can forgive me. But I really have to back out of this project. Mm -hmm. And let the chips fall where they may. Yes. Because you're allowed to be a human. You're allowed. Mm -hmm. Okay, moving on. You have the right to negotiate for your preferences desires and needs unbecoming or not forget unbecoming negotiate for yourself you have a right to express and honor all of your feelings if you so choose so you are not required to confess your feelings because someone wants to know them you can share them you have that right if you so choose you have a right to voice your opinion even if others disagree you have the right to be treated with respect, consideration, and care. Now, this starts with you. So I always start with there's so much self-care ideas and stuff in the book and in what I teach because my high-functioning, over-functioning, high-functioning codependent women who are literally running the world, it seems like, and I'm not talking about soul cycle classes and green juice, right? Because we can buy those things and we can motivate ourselves to do those things. I mean, actual self-care, where you rest when you're tired, where you say no to shit you don't want to do, like actual self-care, treating yourself like you would a child that you absolutely love, not being so hard on ourselves. And I find that this is like an epidemic, you know? Mm -hmm. You have a right to determine who has the privilege of being in your life. And I think that what we don't realize is that we have a VIP section in our lives, but that we make the guest list and that we're the only bouncer and that we're required to put up the velvet rope. And if you don't, you just have all these people. I start the book out saying, hey, I was a bridesmaid eight times in my 20s. I should have definitely said no to four of those ugly dress experiences. No, I'm not wearing it again. I'm not dying it black and cutting it short and wearing it again. I'm not. Nobody is. But I couldn't. Like, that was me. I had no VIP section because these people loved me. They thought we were really close. I'm like, how could you ask me to be in your wedding when I wouldn't even invite you to my housewarming party if I had a house? Like... And it would be too embarrassing or rude in my mind 
to like be like, wow, our reality is meh, not matching at all. But I was dishonest. Like I let those women think that I was, I felt about them the way they clearly felt about me. Obviously, I would not do that today. I was only 25, but I'm just saying. Okay. Um, You have a right to communicate your boundaries, limits, and deal breakers. And I want to say one thing quick about deal breakers, which are your non-negotiables, right, in life. When I was dating, I'm in recovery myself. I stopped drinking, as I said, when when I was in college. And when I was single in in the city, when I was a talent agent, I said uh, to my friends, listen, you guys can try to set me up, but nobody who's in recovery. And one of them was like, why are you, you're biased against people in recovery when you're in recovery? I was like, no, but there's only room in a relationship I'm going to be in for me to be someone who has addictive behavior. Like it will be really triggering for me to be with someone else who's trying to not fall off the wagon, like forget it, like I don't want it. I explained that to her because she was a friend and I loved her and I wasn't even mad that she asked, but I didn't have to because my deal breaker could be none of her effing business, could be right? You're non-negotiable. Half the time, I don't, not that I don't care, but in my relationship with my husband, sometimes something will happen where I'm like, I'd like to make a simple request that you, let's say, I tell the story, but you know, he used to come pick me up from the train back in the day when we were living in Jersey with the kids were still home. And if I got off the train, I could see down like where the parking lot was. And if he was there, I'd get so happy that like he was there before the train pulled in and I would run down and be so excited. If I got there and his car wasn't there, I would be weirdly upset. Like it does not make sense because he would like 20 seconds later, he'd pull up and I was pissed and hurt. (laughs) Like I wanted to cry for like, I don't even know why. I still don't know why. And so the first few times I would just be like, he's like, you okay? How was your day? I'm like, fine, long, I'm tired, you know, and then just be looking out the window and just being passively, aggressively expressing my displeasure without using words where he's like, "Uh, okay, well, I'll make dinner. I don't know. Like, I don't know what the problem is. Finally, by the third or fourth time, I was like, hey, I'm going to, I want to ask you something. Can I make a simple request that you make sure that you're there when the train pulls in? It might sound weird. I'm not making you wrong. And then I just told him when I get off, And if I don't see you, I don't know why, but it makes me feel like crying. Like, and I literally have no idea why. And he was like, all right, babe, no problem. Like, sure. And never, never is late again. Like just, that was 24 years ago. The the guy is literally never late. But in that moment, I didn't, like Vic didn't need to understand why I felt that way. But if you're in my life and I'm telling you something makes me feel a way I'd rather not feel, you need to care about that piece of the story. It's not a polarization. It's not a right or wrong. It's instead of you against me, it's us against this problem. Mm. Because I know he loved me and loves me and I know he wouldn't want me to feel that way rather than being defensive. But I could have also made it a fight. I could have been like, I don't know why it's so hard. You can't just get here, whatever, right? I could have made it a thing, but I'd had so much therapy by that point. Like I knew that it really wasn't a thing and I knew it was a me thing. But how loved did I feel when he stopped being late? Even though he wasn't late, but you know what I'm saying. When he made sure he was there when I pulled up. So anyway, I'm going to get back to this. But the deal breaker, the preference, these are things that are your own. And we do have to compromise. You know, and Dana, we'll get back to what you were saying when I'm done with this. There's only two more. You know, you do have to compromise in relationships if you have 
um, conflicting preferences and desires, right? That That's what compromising is about. Um, the last, second to last is you have the right to prioritize your self-care without feeling selfish. I don't need to say more about that. Every person listening is like, well, yeah, I need to do that. <laughs> and the last one. <laughs> the last one is you have the right to talk true, be seen, and live free. Wow. Oh, I read these on your Instagram before we met. And just hearing you speak them, like, it feels so liberating and empowering. Like, my soul is, like, jumping out of my heart just hearing <laughs> these things because it's so true. You know, we are all here in this lifetime. We deserve to be happy. We deserve to be healthy. Our truth is real. And, you know, we deserve to honor our truth. And it's crazy how we've gone into this, like, uh, distorted version of that because we're afraid of conflict. We're afraid of being mm -hmm. uncomfortable. We're afraid of pain. <laughs> we're afraid of being abandoned. We're afraid of us rubbing the wrong way with someone else and then them leaving our lives. Like that fear, yeah. that uncomfortableness um, is the thing that makes us abandon our truth. But to hear all of these things, like it just feels so beautiful and so empowering. And, you know, with our work in human design, we're teaching people all day long, like, if you want to say yes, say yes. If you want to say no, say no. Like it's so simple, but so profound to really execute it and it empowers you so much. And so just hearing all of these together, it's just like beautiful. Like I'm going to have this next to my bedside and like read it every day so that I can remind <laughs> myself. I have a PDF you can download. That's Good. very pretty. Awesome. Amazing. <laughs> so let's hit the compromise thing. Do you want to? Yeah. Okay. So before I get into the Boundary Boss Bill of Rights, you were saying, so how do we know when, like, it's too much, it's too little? It, what if we have conflicting things? Mm -hmm. you, you have to make sure that, that the preference you have is your side of the street. Because a lot of times, and what I'm seeing a lot socially and on social media is that people are using, this is my boundary, as a lever to control others. Mm. So we got to get really clear about what is our side of the street and what is not. If you are in relationship, because Shana, you had said before, like, well, how do you, how do we sort of come to this if the person's helping you or they're living with you or whatever? Yeah. This is kind of a similar thing. Having clear agreements helps in the beginning. Being willing to compromise is also really important. And you have to decide what is a deal breaker is my sound okay? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, no. Weird in my ear. Um, what is a deal breaker for your your person? Like, who is it more important to? My husband and I always have this thing where if we have conflicting things about something, the first thing we say is, how important is it to you? And if he says, it's, it's really important, I'm like, done. That's what we're doing. I can't wait to go to that black tie affair and listen to classical music. It's going to be amazing. Um, <laughs> not, but it will be because he'll be happy and I want him to be happy. So my something that is a nice to have, it would be nice if I didn't have to go to that, does not, is not more important in my relationship than something that he that is a desire, an actual desire for him, something that matters to him. So that's one way that you can work it out. Like, who is it more important to? Mm. But I also think that if you don't understand your blueprint, this can be, that that is a high level of functioning in a relationship to be able to be like, okay, so we are, we want different things. But again, it is not 
you against me. It's us against this thing that we need to work out and we love each other, so we will work it out. So I want you to look at the thing that you want to ask, the thing that you have a problem with. I had someone on Instagram the other day ask me, um, it was a problem with her, her partner still followed their exes. And this was like an issue for her. And I was like, okay, well, have you talked about it? Like, like what, what, first of all, what is the issue? Let's like actually start with that. What does it mean to you? Because it wouldn't mean anything, to, not really to me, if, you know, Vic followed someone that he's still friends with, whatever, but it depends on the relationship. Is it young? Is it old? Do you have a history of somebody being um, cheating on you? That then you'd be feel more afraid. Do you have abandonment issues? Do you have intimacy issues? There's all kinds of things. And she was like, no, I feel like he's still friends with his exes. And so what we got to was that he was spending time and having conversations with ex-girlfriends that really should be, according to her, reserved for her. And I thought she was right because it was not friendships that he was sharing with her. He was like kind of keeping her out of it. And I was like, well, you can make the request and tell him that it's negatively impacting the way that you feel and how secure you feel and how loved you feel and see if that matters. And I don't know what, I don't know what she ended up doing, but so it's his side of the street, what he was doing with his exes, ha still having these relationships, but it did impact her. So that kind of speaks to what you were saying before, Shana. It impacts her because she didn't feel like it was right, you know? Yeah. And he can say, hey, I disagree, and you're a psycho, and you're, or whatever, right? You're, you're jealous, you're this, you're that. But that is then also giving her a lot of information about the relationship itself. So you still have to talk true. You still have to make a simple request, as I teach you in the book. And sometimes we have to decide. So let's say his answer was, no, I'm not going to in introduce you to them, and I'm not going to change what I'm doing then she would have to decide, is that a deal breaker for me? Yeah. And if it is, instead of having the same fight for the rest of your friggin' life, decide that you will cut your losses. And then you give the person the chance. You tell them, hey, like, I actually think this could be a deal breaker for the relationship for me. So I want you to know that it's not an ultimatum because I'm actually willing to leave. I'm not willing to go forward with you having these best friend exes because it feels really disrespectful to me and I don't like it. Yeah. And then he has the information. He can make a decision. So anyway, I don't know. Did I answer the question? Yeah, I mean, it, it okay. clarifies, you know, is that codependent or not? You know, to, because in the traditional definition of what you explain codependency as, as that's what they're doing and you're heavily dependent on their actions. But mm -hmm. here it's like, okay, I've spoken my truth and can you hear, hear me? Can you meet me there? And can yeah. we negotiate? Can we compromise? Um, who's it more important to? I love that question because yes. it's so incredibly helpful yes. to say, this is really important to me or it's kind of important yeah. to me and I can mm -hmm. tell that it's really important to you. So I'm, I'm down to, to compromise. And that doesn't mean that I'm abandoning myself. It doesn't mean that I'm no. shape shifting <laughs> to be you or to be whatever right. you want me to do. It just means right. that in this moment I have understanding and compassion. And I think that's one of the biggest lessons Brian, my fiance has taught me without trying to teach me is anything that I say <laughs> to him comes with this just great like 
like I can speak the craziest request of like, this is important to me and I don't know why, but it is. And like, just do it, please. And he's like, got it. Like, great. Happy to. And he never forgets. And, and, you know, I kind of had a similar thing with like him following girls when we first met on Instagram and it bugged Mm -hmm. the shit out of me. And Mm -hmm. I said, I don't know why I know this is crazy. I know you don't like, you're not going to date these girls, but it bugs me. And he's like, okay and at first it was it was that kind of like uh is this too much to ask but then it was like okay no this is important to me and it was immediate next time i saw him phone was cleared off so it was like okay those little signposts he's always been this big teacher of this boundary or this this i don't know is it a compromise system or is it a um respect system i don't know how you would label that that is this important to you or is it not type of well he's he's tuned he's tuned into how you feel and how you feel matters and so he made the decision that following those women was not that important to him if it was something that was going to cause like domestic unrest between you he's like let me weigh it out does it actually matter nope don't care yeah and 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 he didn't need to know because the re but here's the thing that you did Shane, that was healthy you weren't like what's wrong with you you're doing that why are you following them do you really want them i know you do you weren't doing any of that stuff which would be all of this fearful projecting you just made the request because that and that's the healthiest way we do it we make the simple request if we can give context we do if we love the person you don't have to as long as we're very clear about the distinction between giving context and convincing because they're not the same thing yeah different (laughs) right context is your reason the other one is like seeking their permission to be allowed to have your boundary and you're allowed like you're the boss of you you're allowed to have your boundary and we must be in an acceptance that it doesn't mean everyone will acquiesce to what we want but they certainly won't if we don't tell them Right. Yeah. Yes. I love I love listening to just your examples of how you can say something because that communication part of the boundary is huge. And I was honestly a little bit surprised (laughs) when you first said your definition of boundary is all of these things and being able to communicate it. I was like, whoop, there it is. Like, that's an important piece that takes it to the next level. Right. That's how it gets Mm -hmm. out of you and into your relationships, into the world around you. So that communication is so important and the way that we communicate something is everything you know are you taking responsibility when you're communicating or are you blaming someone when you're communicating and in order to do that yes you first have to have that clear foundation of understanding that blueprint in your subconscious like that clarity comes from really starting there and then you have this solid clear foundation that you can build you know all of the other things that then carry it out to being an actual boundary that you communicate with a partner or a friend exactly Mm -hmm. yeah Communication is so important. If you have disordered communication, which is indirect communication, passive-aggressive communication, you know, we, we've all sent the passive-aggressive smiley one time <laughs> or another, where you're like, oh, you're now changing the time to 8.15, even though I already left Queens? Okay, well, great. Thanks. I'm glad I took an Uber. See you soon. Passive-aggressive smiley. Yeah. Where you're like, I could have just been walked. Um yeah rather than telling the truth. And yet I find that the more you start telling the truth, it becomes, I was just talking to someone who was like, um, hi, talking true is addicting. I was like, yes, it is. Because the burden that we carry around, the emotional burden 
from not talking true is so heavy. It's just exhausting because we're we're mad at everybody. <laughs> you know, like you have kind of low-key resentment for like a lot of people from anyone if if we're not saying what is really happening for us. And I promise you, listening, anybody, when you start doing this, it yes, it's a little bit scary, but you're gonna be so elated and feel so much lighter and so much more known in your life that you're going to realize how not fragile you are. Mm. Thank like you for not. saying that. That is just, I feel like everyone needs needed to hear that. Um, and honestly, I love pairing what you teach with human design. I think it's incredibly mm -hmm. powerful. Um, I'm so curious to know what your human design is, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, I'll have to come back. Yeah. yeah. But I want, um, you know, I want our listeners to know where they can buy your book, where they can find you, where they can connect with your teachings. Um, because I encourage everyone listening, like pair it with your human design. Mm -hmm. I think it's so profound and powerful. So where can they connect with, with your offerings? Um, well, there's a couple of things. Go to boundarybossbook.com, and that's where you can buy the book from any bookseller because it's been out now for a week. Um, today would be a really good day to buy it, though, if you think you're going to, because it's <laughs> the end of the seven days, and I don't know why, but that seems to be important for a first-time author. Mm. And I also have all of these beautiful bonuses that I created that I am still offering. So all you have to do is put in like the receipt and you'll get a bunch of bonuses. Um, you can find me at my website, which is terrycole.com. I have a podcast for the last six years called The Terry Cole Show. Um, that if you want to talk about anything, if, you, if you're interested in mental health and celebrities and life and stress and boundaries and love and sex, that's what I talk about. Love it. Um, I also have a gift for your audience that is just for you. And it's about boundaries and codependency, similar to what we were talking about. Because I think that this is such um, a phenomenon that is happening out there that is misunderstood and misnamed and is so painful for so many, I feel like it would really help in the process. So to get that gift, you're gonna go do boundaryboss.me forward slash, hold on, human design. Does oh, that make sense? Amazing. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, I am so excited for our listeners to be able to buy this book and I can't wait to buy it. And I'm literally, I'm not going to, I'm not joking. I'm going to hang those, that bill of rights next to my bed. Um, Cause it's just like the most liberating and empowering thing I've heard in a long time. Um, so thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom with us. Honestly, I would love to have you back on the podcast. I just, your, your medicine is so soothing to me. I'm so <laughs> grateful for you sharing with us. Yes. Oh, thank you guys so much for having me. I love what you're doing in the world and do think that it is, it is a beautiful intersection for the work mm -hmm. that we do. And, and you guys are the next generation, like you are. And so how about we have this be the end mm -hmm. of this people-pleasing and this self-sacrificing bullshit because we need leaders who can lead and we're not living small because of these this crap in our basement mm -hmm. of our minds like you can unlearn it so get the book yeah listen to these lovely women who are doing what they're doing but let's together really decide the boundary boss next gen like you guys are it let's have this be the last generation that needs to learn this please yeah because the world needs you now you know yes, yes. and being able to teach 
our children. Uh, this is how you find your own truth. Here's how you communicate your truth. Here's how you create healthy boundaries in your life. Like the fact that we get to be empowered by knowing the skill set, and then it does get to be a part of what we teach, you know, alongside with how to cook, how to clean your room, like how to create your boundaries and effect, effectively communicate your truth. Like it's just so yes. exciting to to think about that future. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, and everyone listening, you know you can find um, our offerings at daylunalife.com, also our Instagram, which is at dayluna. Um, and we are just so excited that you've joined us for this conversation with Terry. And please check the show notes if you want to connect with um the links to her book, her website, all of those beautiful things. 